<clears throat> the unseen battle from Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. So with this chapter, we come to the, the fourth and final vision of the book of Daniel. We looked at three already, and this one occupies the last three chapters. In short, uh, Daniel receives a, a revelation of the future that involves God's people. And God's people, irrespective of what age, as we know, will seek a, a peaceful and prosperous future for themselves and their descendants. God's people don't like to go and fight and seek conflict. We want to live in peace. But the reality is different. While the ultimate future, the end of the end, is bright before the end, wicked people will oppose God's people and will continue to live in their wicked ways. And meanwhile, we try and search for reasons to explain why it is so, why is there evil in our world. People come up with all different explanations, whether it's historical, political, social, psychological explanations as to why we have all these problems in society. Now, this passage this morning calls us to be aware of unseen spiritual realities that lurk behind that which is visible and physically discernible. And unless we, we grasp, we, we try and understand these spiritual forces, we will never truly appraise the things in our lives the way we should. The great news is that God is with us and we are not left alone in our struggle, but it, it, what is happening here is that have, it's pulled back the curtain just a little bit through the book of Daniel to explain to us, to tell us about the other reality, the spiritual reality that we cannot see with our eyes. So in verses 1 to 3, we look at an intense prayer. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. His message was true and he concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. So this is the, the, the final vision in, the, in, in all the, the chapters that come. At that time, I, Daniel, now it's him speaking, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So Daniel received this revelation in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, Historically, this is about, this is 536 BC. So we, we have a, a pretty accurate date. That's the year that the exile ended, or it was the beginning of the end of the exile. And, and the first group, because there were subsequent groups, so this is the first group of Jews returned from Babylon. They returned from Babylon all the way back home hundreds of miles back to Jerusalem. So Cyrus issues a decree that allowed the Jews in Babylon to return 
back to Judea to begin rebuilding the temple, get the city back working, rebuild the walls, start the proper worship and get their lives back together before God. And although nearly 50,000 people, families, individuals, all returned home, Daniel was not among them. We don't know why he didn't return, but whatever reason, it clearly wasn't because he no longer cared about God's people or cared about going back home. Because he looked forward, he really did look forward to the day and hope for, for good news for the people that were returning to Jerusalem. This is what he'd been praying for the last, he'd been announcing for the prophets, it's going to take 70 years of exile and then we're going to start going back. He'd been saying this, Jeremiah had been saying it, Isaiah. But as time went by, instead of being elated, hoping for good news, we find him intensely mourning and fasting for three weeks. Why? He was pleading, he was interceding, he was praying for the people back in the land. Why? Well, the returned exiles had already uh, resumed sacrifices at the temple, but shortly after their return, they began to face stiff opposition. And they were forced to stop the rebuilding of the temple and the walls for about 15 years. You can read the story in Ezra chapter 4 for a historical background of that. So it appears that even after spending 70 years in exile, they still feared men more than God. And for this reason, Daniel after hearing the reports of the opposition that the people back home were facing, is drawn to to pray for them, to intercede for them in a a very intense way. It wasn't just, oh, I'll put him in my prayer list. It it involved everything. He didn't eat, he didn't didn't drink any alcohol, and and it looks like he even didn't have a bath. So it was was as intense as as you can imagine. When bad news or a crisis hits us, when bad news about somebody else or someone we love or someone we know or even it's closer to home, it's within us, within our family, it could be a visit to the doctor and suddenly there's bad news. It it tends to grab and, and focus all our attention on on our needs. It tends to suck Whatever else is happening out there, whatever else is going on, it's sort of, we just focus on this. We have no time, little time for anyone else. But the remarkable thing here is that Daniel, as far as we can tell, is not praying for himself, but he's praying for his people. He's interceding for others. So much does he care for them that he's drawn to prayer. 
And it's as intense a prayer as you can possibly get because he, he cared for them. He was now an old man. He'd be in his 80s, right? And, and, and there was nothing he could physically do to, for the people back home. He, he couldn't go. He couldn't go and fight. He couldn't, you know, grab and put some mortar on the walls and all of this. He, he couldn't do any of that. What he could do was pray. And that was something he was consistently good at throughout his life. I mean, you've got to read the book, right? That was the one weapon at his disposal, even when the enemy tried to shut him down, to hunt him down, to lock him up, to throw him in a hole. He could still pray. He kept at it. Doesn't matter what the government said, doesn't matter what edict, what laws were changed, he was going to keep praying. What an example, right? What a challenge for us. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? I don't know if our government's going to start bringing laws that you can't sing, you can't pray, you can't gather together for worship. I don't care. We're going to continue to pray. We have to continue to pray. Let's never forget to make use of this amazing spiritual weapon that is available to us. The weapon that Daniel had and that Daniel used. A great example. In verses 4 to 9 we have a devastating vision. On the 24th day of the first month as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the river Tigris. Remember the two great rivers back to Genesis? about there, uh, Tigris and Euphrates. I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Opaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Sound of a multitude. I think. What would that sound like? What would that look like? Well, I don't know if you've been to a stadium and the whole stadium singing a song as one, and there's multiple voices, and it's like, how many are there? That's just one person, and it's so multi-dimensional this voice and all this that it fills up the whole place. That say, this is wow. Quite apart from what he looked like, this is what it sounded like. So all, all, his, all Daniel's senses were triggered here. This is an audio-visual amazing experience. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they were fled and hid by themselves. So I can only think that they, they didn't see it, they didn't see the, the visual, but they heard the audio. Alright? So the video projector was turned off, but the speakers were on. And the ground was shaking. There was a whole lot of shaking going on. They were terrified. 
They fled. I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. Apart from being an old man, he's now (laughs) physically pale. My my, My face turned deadly pale and I was helpless. And then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep. My face the ground. I, I find it amazing, like this, this voice speaking. So it wasn't, first it was terrifying and then it was, it was soothing. Either that or he just passed out. So here is Daniel standing on the, the, the banks of this, this great river, 50 miles from Babylon. I don't know why he's there. At first he wasn't alone, other people with him. Only Daniel saw it. The people felt the presence but not the vision. You know, a similar thing occurred with the Apostle Paul on his way to Damascus in Syria. Uh, Paul saw the vision, heard the voice, Everybody else were just frightened and they fled. Everybody who was with him. But only Paul experienced the intensity of it. So he looks up and sees this terrifying individual that is, that is dressed amazingly, magnificently. Now whatever you think of heavenly beings, this one does not appear soft and cuddly. All right? Not a teddy bear. You're not going to go to this individual and pat him. No. And it was so terrifying that he feels, he turns pale, he feels weak. Who was this individual? Uh, Some say that this is the image, an image of the an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. In theological terms, it's known as a Christophany or a manifestation of Jesus before his incarnation. They say that the description here of Christ is similar to what we have in Revelations 1, for example. And you might remember back in in Daniel chapter 3, there were three guys who were sentenced to be burnt in the oven and then suddenly there was a fourth figure in the furnace and, and we, we said that, that figure could have been also the pre-incarnate Christ but here I wouldn't be so sure as it doesn't seem fitting why do I say that? because if, he was, if this is Christ if this is the son of God Jesus he wouldn't need any help from the angels to deal with the enemy. The Bible reminds us that God doesn't need any help from anybody. He's God. So it's, for me, it's best to see this as a, as a mighty angel, perhaps even the angel Gabriel that we've met before. It's not uncommon It's not uncommon in the book of Revelation where angels who serve the Lord are sometimes described in similar ways 
that Jesus has described. So whoever this terrifyingly glorious, impressive, mighty figure, whoever he was, he comes for a purpose to bring an answer to Daniel as an, as a, as an answer to his intense prayers and for his fasting. Because Daniel wasn't giving up lamenting and petitioning the Lord for answers so that the Lord would intervene for his people back home. This had been going on for three weeks now. Three weeks. And he wasn't giving up until the answer arrived from heaven. That's how intense Daniel was in his prayer life. Amazing. In verses 10 to 21, we have a strengthening answer. In verse 12, we read, Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. This is the angel speaking to him. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So here Daniel again is given a glimpse into the future. But before we get to that, he is also given an explanation as to what is currently happening in the heavenly realm in the present time. Not just about the future, but this is what was happening or the very immediate past. In the last chapter, in chapter 9, as soon as Daniel began praying, we knew that his prayer of confession, just like as he began praying, the answer came. Gabriel came in order to explain important matters to Daniel. So the answer came straight away. That's how we like our prayers answered, don't we? Lord, heal this person. And they are healed straight away. Isn't that what happens on stage? Right? Lord, save my son. And they're saved straight away. That's the type of, you know, we'd like an immediate response. Well, sometimes God does that. A lot of times, it doesn't happen like that. Now the angel explains the reason why he was delayed for three weeks. Apparently, there was this great battle in the heavenly places and this angel is engaged in this conflict against the prince of the Persian Empire. The reason he looks... Terrifying is because he's coming in his battle regalia. He's, he's, he's ready for battle. He's not going for dinner, right? He's not wearing his tuxedo. He's in battle. 
And the struggle continued until the other angel, Michael, came to his aid to continue the battle while this angel, it could be Gabriel, comes to communicate important things to Daniel. Now we have to say that this prince of the Persian kingdom that is spoken of here, it cannot be a man because no man can delay or oppose an angel of God. These angels are very powerful. So no human being, flesh and blood, can oppose an angel. So this must be some kind of demonic force assigned by Satan, the devil himself, to serve in the court of the Persian king. Evidently, the job of this demonic power was to hinder God's work and to discourage God's people who were under the Persian Empire. He must have been a very strong demon to be able to engage an angel for 21 days. Pretty powerful, right? Down through the ages, God's people, God's church have had to deal with many empires and kingdoms that have risen and that have fallen. And although we call the founder of the Persian Empire, we call him Cyrus the Great, it tells us here that he was not the ultimate ruler of Persia. There was another power behind him that enabled him to gain power. There is a demonic authority who pulled the reins of the earthly kingdom. The same was true of Alexander as well. While he might have believed that he conquered the world by his own skill and by his own might, the real prince of Greece was behind that demonic power. Now, what do you mean, Paul? Well, let's put some other names. Let's throw some other names. It could be Napoleon. There's a movie coming out about him. It could be Napoleon, it could be Hitler, it could be Stalin, it could be Pol Pot that is causing the chaos here on earth. But those kings, those princes, those dictators, those leaders, those presidents and prime ministers, they are simply pawns in a much greater spiritual conflict. This is because the primary conflict that God's people face in whatever time of history, whatever form, is a spiritual conflict first and physical second. Whatever happens on the battlefront or in the dark corridors of parliaments when earthly powers, influential people get together to plan something, when they concoct something 
Whenever some of that happens, it is simply a reflection of a cosmic struggle that we cannot see. And here, the angel pulls the curtain just a little bit to explain to him. He didn't have to explain, but explains to him the reason why. It's not like Daniel said, why are you late? Daniel says to him, the, 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 the angel says, this is what happened. Our greatest foes, our greatest enemies, are not earthly rulers who persecute God's people, but rather the rulers, authorities and spiritual forces of evil that manipulate the hearts of wicked men and women towards further rebellion against God. That's an important point you need to understand. If we fail to understand this, we fail to grasp the reality of the spiritual realm altogether. Because what happens is that we we tend to function in this one-dimensional manner, right? But there is another dimension that we need to be aware of. Well, and you're probably there sitting, what are you going on about, Paul? Well, obviously you're not convinced yet. This is what the Apostle Paul reminds us. We looked at this verse in our series in Ephesians. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Bang, there it is. I'm not making this up. It's, It's not just Old Testament stuff. It's New Testament as well. Scriptures is one. The Bible is one. And, 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 and when the Apostle Paul said this, he, this is spoken by someone who was physically jailed, he was beaten, he was opposed, he was stoned, he was all of this stuff at every corner by men. How many times, right? Yet he describes his struggle as not being primarily against flesh and blood. He's got all the bruises, but he's saying that wasn't the the main thing. His struggle was primarily against spiritual forces. Today is no less evil than Daniel's or Paul's. And you could argue that it could possibly be even more evil than in those days. Just look at the unprecedented behaviours that defy logic and reason. The whole gender thing and the rubbish that goes around with that. Look at what is happening around us when we seem lost, looking for meaning. Destroying life, killing innocent life. But we're bringing laws to, for euthanasia and just aborting human life because it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient. Do you think 
is behind all of that. These cosmic powers continue to rally together against God's people. That's us. Oh, Paul, you're just playing the victim. No! This is what the Bible says. These demonic powers are hungering to take as many as possible with them to the pits of hell before the end. That's their purpose. Now, let's slow down a little bit. Whenever this topic of angels and demons and spiritual warfare comes up, there are basically two mistakes that we can make, right? On the one hand, some of us may have this excessive unbiblical interest in these matters. We start to see demons and their influences everywhere, under the bed, in the cupboard, to the point where we may even fail to confess our own sin the way that Daniel did in chapter 9, right? We may fail to even own up to our own sin because we simply say, well, the devil made me do it. It's not my fault. It's not my sin. I'm innocent, Your Honour. It doesn't work with God. It might work for the judge, but not with God. On the other, on the other extreme, it's, 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 the opposite error would be for us to completely fail to recognize the presence of these spiritual influences and instead only offer naturalistic, material explanation for everything we encounter in the world. That one dimensional life. And I think, I think that's, that's, the way most people live, I think, in, in a country like Australia, in, in the West. But you talk to Samuel, Elizabeth or, for, from Africa, they're very much aware of the, the, the spiritual battle. They will tell you stories that will, you know, your hair will stand on end about the, the reality of the spiritual battle. It's true. It's true. Here is a helpful quote from C.S. Lewis in his preface to the Screwtape Letters. I don't know if anybody read the Screwtape Letters, which incidentally he, the Screwtape Letters were actually dedicated to his friend, none other than J.R. Tolkien. You know the name. Now this is what he said. Very brief, he says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail the materialist or the magician with same delight. The materialist or the magician with same delight. It's true. Those are both extremes. Remember the words of Martin Luther, the reformer, who reminded us that we, don't, we do not have one, but we have three sworn enemies. What are they? The world, the flesh, 
and the devil, the world, the flesh and the devil. And each one attacks in a different way. They all oppose God, they all try to destroy God's work in our lives, in his church and in our world. Because of this, our, we need to understand our enemies. Particularly demonic forces, but not to the point where we only do that. We need to study the scriptures. And so whatever understanding we have of demonic forces has to come from the, the scriptures. Not from the world, not from movies, not from Christian novels. And not even from charlatans who could be saying all this stuff from the pulpit. It has to come from the Word of God. So some final lessons. Uh, this rare glimpse, it is a rare glimpse we get here in, in Daniel into the, into the spiritual realm is, is likely to leave us with perhaps more questions than answers. But we shouldn't speculate beyond what the Bible tells us. So what are we to believe about angels? Angels, we've met them before. They are found in the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelations. We have already encountered them in the book of Daniel. At times they appear as normal humans. At other times they will appear in their full regalia, like in this passage here. They are servants and they are ambassadors of the Lord sent to help us. Where do I get this? The book of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 1.14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's what they are. Now this vision delivered by the angel to Daniel, as exhausting and draining as it appears, is for what reason? It wasn't, wasn't, didn't come to scare Daniel. It didn't come to just frighten the living daylights out of him. But to provide assurance. The assurance that this old man called Daniel needed. And, and the angel assured him more than once that he is highly esteemed. He is loved. We appreciate what you're doing. We, we, you know, we're there for you. Yes, Daniel. The, his prayers. This is Daniel. This is he's an old man. He hasn't got a walking frame anymore. He's, he can hardly stand up. Right, he's trembling. He's like this, right, before this image. All the angel has to do is like that and fall flat on his... And he was down on his face. And he's, stand up, Daniel, come on. I've got a message for you. And he was strengthened. But he was still trembling. He came to tell him that his prayers were heard because his prayers were powerful. And he took me three weeks to get here, Daniel, but here I am, because I had to come. Because they have been heard by the Father who cares, 
I have been sent. That's what angels are. Angelos means somebody who is sent. And, and that no matter how bad things appear back in the promised land, back in Jerusalem, doesn't matter how bad they appear, no matter how chaotic or apparently hopeless things have become, please don't despair. Trust. Trust. The same things to us that God is saying to us. Doesn't matter how chaotic, doesn't matter how hopeless it seems, God is calling us to trust. That the sovereign Lord is so fully in control of things that He is able to disclose the sequence of events. We're going to look at next week. The sequence of events before they actually happen. You want to see a film? Before even watching it, God gives you the script and says, that's exactly what's going to happen. But you just, yeah, I wanted to. No, I just told you what it's about. You don't need to watch it. I told you what it's about. Oh, you spoiled it for me. I wanted to watch it. Don't worry, you're going you're to live it. But I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. The sovereign Lord, so in control of things, that he's able to, 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 to share with us, as he does here, things that will happen before they happen, just so that our faith can be reinforced and there is no doubt. I've told you this so that you will not fear. It's all playing out just as he said it would. Well, perhaps another question arises out of this. If God is sovereign... Why does this battle need to go on? Why? Well, our first reading from Revelation tells us in visual and symbolic form that Michael and his angels have won this great battle and the dragon with his angels are defeated and as a result they were cast down from heaven. In verse 7, the, in the vision and the providence of God that the, 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 the fatal blow was struck against the devil by Jesus on the cross. And when he rose on the third day, the victory was secure. Now, like a suicide bomber, he wants to take as many with him as possible. That's what's happening. Like a suicide bomber on a plane, they're saying, we're all going to die. Revelations 12.12 Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury. He's angry. He's upset. Because Because of why? Because he knows that his time is short. That's why. There's your answer. It's going to intensify. It's going to get worse, guys. I wish I could give you oh, some positive news. Well, we, what more news? The, 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 rejoice, it says. Rejoice, your heavens, your earth. You know, but these guys on earth, they're going to have to put up with this. But you know what? They might rage on this earth and make war against the saints, against the church. But they know their destiny is certain. And it's only a matter of time before Christ returns in the clouds of heaven 
and the devil and his cohorts are cast out to the lake of fire. And you say, well, why doesn't it happen now? I want to just finish it. Well, are all your kids saved? Do you want them to go to heaven? Not all my kids are saved. I want God to delay until they are saved. And then I don't care about anybody else. Is that, the, is that really our response? No. John 3.16 God so loved the world. He doesn't want people to go to hell. He doesn't want to end up in a lake of fire with the devil. He wants to rescue us from sin and death. That's why he's delaying his patience. That's why this battle continues. That's why your life and mine is at stake. Our loved ones. So what effect do our prayers have in the spiritual battle? Why is it so hard to pray? Is another question, isn't it? So hard to pray because it is a spiritual battle. And there is an obvious connection between our prayers and the spiritual realm. And this chapter explains why we sometimes encounter delays and difficulty in our service for Christ. It helps us understand why our prayers are sometimes hindered and delayed for weeks, months, even years. And the message from Ephesians 6 is clear and we need to wrestle through prayer and obedience to God. Don't give up praying, whatever you do. And as we do this, again from Ephesians, we need to put on the armour of God in order to face the enemy. So you rattled enough yet? I hope so. Because it is God speaking to us in his word. I just want to leave you with, I want to encourage you with, with this exhortation from the angel to Daniel, right? This is directly from the angel to Daniel. In verse 19, it says, Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. He said, Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. Did you get that? Be strong now. Be strong. Don't give up on me now. Come on. Come on, old fella. Come on. Don't give up. Stand up. There's work to be done. So do you like the words, the challenge, be strong, or do you like the words that you are loved? I like them both. It's great to be loved. And none other than our, our Heavenly Father who reassures us that we are His. So let's rest in the knowledge that we are greatly loved by God. And if He is for us, who can be against us? Right? Praise be to God. Amen.